Our reading this morning is by the African-American writer and poet Alice Walker, called Ancestors Never Sleep. Ancestors never sleep and always seem to know what they're doing. How is this possible, I ask myself. <clears throat> Sometimes I am weary enough to expire. What a relief, I will think. No more obsessing about this madness, whatever it might be this year or even this century. But ancestors merely yawn and send me off for a nap. Not only is life not over, they sniff, it has barely begun for you. There are eternities waiting just beyond the next bad movie you fear you'll be starring in. Go to sleep, rest your brain, Rest your heart, rest your eyes and all your thoughts. We have been with you from the beginning, which didn't exist, and we will be with you until that moment of non-existence swings around again. You are attempting to carry the suffering all around you, but your back is bending. Let us bear it for you knowing as we do that it is only a difficult turn on a never-ending journey of dissolving and becoming and dissolving again and becoming once more, forever and ever on and on. Save despair, our beloved sweet cakes, for a couple of eons later. The words of Alice Walker. We're at the time where the long summer has faded and the first days of November are marking the beginning of the coming of winter. There's a chill in the air. The first hard frost has arrived. Leaves have been falling for some time. The weather's been cooler, the days are shorter, and our evenings are suddenly darker an hour earlier. And so after a season of bounteous growth and harvest, the cycles of nature of decay and death and decomposition make their annual appearance. We are in the so-called cross-quarter days, if you subscribe to pagan theologies, midway between September's fall equinox and December's winter solstice. It's a time the ancient Celts would have said that the it's the beginning of the dark part of the year. It's not a mid-season, it's the beginning. And it's a time, they say, when the veil between the world and the spirit world between the living and the dead is said to be at its thinnest. And so it's a time in both secular and religious spheres where our culture readily embraces the metaphors and meanings of this time, of this cycle of death stillness, introspection. Our children, many other children, and the young of heart have been playing with themes of images of death and fear. And our most observant Christian neighbors have marked all saints and all souls days, both holidays that commemorate the dead. If we have Hispanic neighbors of Mexican heritage, They've already had their picnics on the grave sites of members, real or virtual, where they celebrate and remember and honor their ancestors and beloveds. 
If, like me, you are far from the gravesite of your ancestors, you can still honor those who have gone before, at this time or any time. In fact, it's always good to take time in our own ways to remember those whose absence weighs on our hearts and thoughts. Family members and friends we have loved, those who have loved us, those whose passing we have mourned, and those for whom their passing may have been a relief. We carry memories of being touched and blessed, sometimes hurt by their presence. Integrating memories and lessons learned into our lives is a task common to all who have grieved loss. Reverend Leslie Takahashi tells us that we get a taste of immortality as we integrate those memories. She writes, our ancestors, the goers before, travel with us through something they taught us, which is now ours to do, through something they loved, which is now ours to carry out, through something that we shared, which is now ours alone, and yet not. We remember the joys our departed gave us, which opened us up to hope, we remember the sorrows that we knew together, which taught us strength. And we remember the life shared, which is now ours, to steward. They, our ancestors, are more than remembered. They are memory itself. For what we love lives on in the way our beloved dead accompany us through our life. Their words and wisdom, our guide, their humor, our relief, their restless concern for the world, our charge. Our ancestors are memory itself. Memory. I've long heard that the congregation is a community of love, hope, and memory. And I can't but help but hear Reverend Takahashi's reading with the collective body of a congregation in mind ancestors and the something they taught us which is now ours to do, something they loved which is now ours to carry on, something we shared which is now ours alone and yet not, something that is now ours to steward with their words and wisdom our guide, their humor our relief, and their restless concern for the world our charge. Now perhaps I have congregations on my mind because I attended a ministerial training two weeks ago that focused on the work of leading the congregation during the transitional ministry phase. It's really targeted more for large congregations that call settled ministers. But as you might imagine, many of the lessons of ministering to a congregation during a time of grief and uncertainty and hope for the future transfer well to congregations like this one that are not actively grieving the loss of a minister per se, but that are actively or unconsciously grieving the loss of what once was. I call it the we used to be syndrome. I've been hearing that we grieve the memory of a larger, more socially vibrant and engaged congregation. 
And there's that memory, I'm told, of a well-functioning lay-led religious education program that had 18 children. That's a lot of footsteps up there. We used to fill in the blank. I'm sure you have a few, right? And so we are in this liminal state, as is our faith to some degree, and we're caught in between the heydays of liberal religion and congregational growth and the erosion of re religiosity among our younger generations. They are, after all, our future. And their preference to live spiritual but not religiously affiliated lives is growing. So lamenting or grieving a loss seems a necessary step to successfully navigating a changing landscape. But what's not clear, though, is what's next, or whether recapturing and reprising a chapter from the past is even possible. On the threshold of what is next, the way forward is elusive, it's shifting, it's evolving, and sometimes it's only discernible in hindsight. But there is hope, I do believe. Lori Burroughs grad, who is a Huffington Post grief blogger, grief, blogging about grief, wrote these words about her personal experience following the death of her husband, and I think they have a lesson for us. What was once a world I cherished and adored, she wrote, is now turned upside down, and I am on the threshold of betwixt and between land. A state of liminality is one where the order of things has been suspended. It's an unsettling arena where I am learning to steer my vehicle and hoping very soon to guide it towards finding my new self. In liminality, the past is brought into play only briefly to review the loss. It is the future and the promise of transformation that I find so heartening about this liminality. Now, like any person grieving the loss of a loved one, a congregation also passes through some similar stages and patterns. Feeling a loss, traversing the uncertainties, and finally reassimilating and reintegrating, changing things moving forward. It's helpful to think of the congregation as a system and not a collection of individuals, but as a system. Because congregational memory and identity and behavior can take on a life far greater than any assemblage of members. This group or that group, the board or the group, this Thursday night group or the hospitality committee or the building the ground people, those are not your congregational identity. Congregational systems remember things like who our ancestors were, their foibles, the roles that they played, and it remembers the stories that people told themselves and others about who they were and who they wished to be as a congregation. Congregational systems remember misunderstandings and breaches of right relationship, and they remember the success or failure of the challenging and vulnerable work of restoring and healing that follows a breaking of covenant. And congregational systems do remember healthy 
patterns of behavior and practices. When a congregation with the community of love, hope, and memory carries the loss of a sense of identity or the loss of a critical piece of history or ministry, it's natural to feel some sense of a void and emptiness and to feel some anxiety. At times like this, when the concerns for the future might weigh heavily on your heart, you have to look inward in order to move forward. You must avoid, rather you must not avoid, but welcome and honor the grief, the pain, especially the pain of uncertainty of the losses that you see and experience. So notice and pay attention to the we used to that you tell yourself and others. That's the cue to take time to remember and to redefine and recommit to your core values. At times like this, you also have to look backwards in time to move forward. So take time to reflect and remember, what do you choose to embrace and carry forward from the past? When we take time to remember, as the Reverend Heather Janulz writes, we remember that the people of memory who once dwelled here among us, the ones who knew us and taught us and heard us and loved us, and we remember to reach back in gratitude and understanding to integrate the memories of those people, we honor the circle of life and death. From death and decay and decomposition comes new growth. We are, I think, on the, on the betwixt and between threshold of a new normal, societally, congregationally. Maybe you are too, personally. Yet, if we think of this betwixt and between, not in a down sense or a negative sense, but through the concept of being a realm of pure possibility, what opportunities for a new and transformative life might we see? What awaits us? Whatever those possibilities and options are that entice us, we cannot live in a state of suspended animation. And so life in the meantime, personally and collectively, requires that we continue to rely on the support of one another and keep with our usual routines. And so we continue to gather here for worship, we gather for meditation, for learning together, for socializing, and for doing the business of keeping the congregation fiscally sound and well-maintained. In doing so, the congregation embodies a credo of human continuation that created and built and continued to enliven this community, a community of love, hope, and memory. I urge you to take time to remember, as Alice Walker wrote, the ancestors are with us on the journey of dissolving and becoming and dissolving and again becoming once more, forever and ever, on and on. Take courage, my friends, and as she said, save your despair for another day. Blessed be.
I invite you to take your gray hymnals and turn to the responsive reading in the back, number 721. They are still with us. I invite you to respond with the words that are in the italics. In the struggles we choose for ourselves, in the ways we move forward in our lives and bring our world forward with us. We share a history with those lives. We belong to the same motion. Those who had lived before us, who struggled for justice and suffered injustice before us, have not melted into the dust and have not disappeared. Their words remind us and call us back to ourselves. Their courage and love evoke our own. We, the living, carry them with us. We are their voices, their hands, and their hearts. Very good. But you didn't read that last part in the parentheses. <laughs> and it was in italics, yeah. So we're going to um, come together as a community and embody a ritual of remembrance. I invite you to participate in any way that you wish. You may wish to be sharing some words. You may wish to be silent. You may wish to stay seated. You may wish to move around. So this is how it'll go. First, I, allow, I want you to allow your thoughts to turn to things of the past and those who are no longer with you. Bring forth images and memories of dear companions, ones who graced your lives, ones you miss, persons who made an impact on your life. They may be joyful memories, they may be sad ones. No need to push the feelings away. Our recollections attest to the enduring importance of these friends and their love, our interactions, our memories. They prove that death and distance are powerless to sever the bonds that truly connect loving hearts. I'm going to begin our ritual by lighting one candle to honor and remember the ancestors of this congregation, the ones who were contributing and caring and are now gone. You are invited to come forward if you have brought a memento that you would like to place on the table. 
please do. You have two options, one or the other, or both or neither. So we like options. We like making our own individual choices. So I do just want to lift up the names before we move to our people of those who are in our memorial garden and when they died. Jacob Lockin Greenfield, June 1988. Gerard John Bendix, November 1998. Isadora Red Bloom, February 1999. Michael Safford Greenfield, April 1999. Edwin Miser, May 2001. Steffi Fischbach, February 2008. Henry Fischbach, September 2008. Richard Dick Bauman, August 2012. Helen Miser, February 2013. Geert Hendrik Bauman, Bowman, right? <laughs> May 2015. And Ellen Bendick, July 2015. You may come forward. You will see I also made a memory tree if you'd like something more tactile. We have paper leaves here where if you would like, you may hang a leaf in memory of someone, family member, friend, pet. You can write the name on the leaf. Or you can write a word that characterizes what gift they left for you. I have baskets here that have leaves in them and little holders. Let us start with though, anyone who has um, a loss that occurred in this last year that would like to speak of it. Okay, so I invite you to come forward as you are moved. We'll be doing this in silence and spoken word when someone has something that they would like to share. I can also bring the microphone to you if you're not able to come to the front. I brought a picture of 25 ancestors. I do genealogy. And what it reminds me is that we all stand on the shoulders of many more people than we ever realize. Thank you, Clark. Hi, I'm Ingrid. This is, um, I think it's made of seal skin, so I apologize, but it's been around for a really long time. Um, when, uh, when I was seven, my 22-year-old brother passed away suddenly, and it shaped my entire childhood. And um, a couple of years afterwards, uh, my family, who's not really sentimental about things, um, came across this wooden box, or they had this wooden box that had a few things in it that were his. And there were a couple of, there was like a promotional Colgate thing, and there was a little tiny um, 
a little tiny magnifying glass. It was expensive looking magnifying glass. So, and and then there was there was this, who I named Ukpik after a character in a book. And I've just had, I don't know whether a girl gave it to him. I don't know whether he, it was his. I have no idea. Um, I just know that he cared enough about it to keep it in a box. And I've had it in my house ever since. I brought pictures of my grandmother and my mother, the two strongest influences of my childhood and my growing up. I woke up this morning thinking of my Aunt Angie, and I have no idea why. She passed away in April, and her birthday was in September. But it was so vivid. She was just there. So. memories of my husband, Garrett Bowman, who was treasurer for many years here. And he was a very strong influence in the fellowship. And I miss him, and I think, uh, and also my son, Dick Bowman, who's up there, too. He's, he died before. I remember both of them. Would you like to light a candle? Light the candle. Thank you. Um, I have a leaf for my dear friend Kathy, who died just a little over a year ago, and for all of the all of uh, the family that has passed and pushed myself and my sister and my cousins into the next generation. I would like to light a candle for, um, I framed this, I don't know what I thought we were going to do this morning, but uh, this is a photograph from 1897 of my great-great-grandparents, grand, wait a minute, great-great-grandparents, great-grandparents, and my, and my grandmother, uh, two Elizabeths there, Elizabeth's great-grandmother, and a little Elizabeth grandmother who was called Bess. And she here she is in this photograph with her dog, Sock. <laughs> so it was taken in Maryland. I've just cherished this photograph, and I've put a poem by Rilke with it, which is about they're part of the stars. So I've, I have just begun to 
I've just begun to write a book, not knowing we were doing this service. It just came to me a few weeks ago. I thought I heard my great-great-grandmother speaking to me, so I started to write this book. And uh, I'm about four pages into it. And <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be very interesting. And this morning, so the same candle I want to include, um, I came into the kitchen and I saw this bag. And I said, Judy, is this your bag? Where did this come from? This is a bag that was given to me about 25 years ago by a mentor, a very dear person um, in one of my major jobs who really uh, was like, a, well, he reminded me of my grandfather. He was very much like my grandfather. So I'm very happy to find it back again. I just brought photo, a photo of my dad, who I miss dearly, and Eric's godmother, Regina, who um, was amazing, warm, the best sense of humor. And I'm so glad she got a chance to meet Clark. And then I wrote um, the leaf for my friend John, um, who's been gone almost 10 years, and a great person, and my stepbrother, Max. So. Brought uh, pictures of my grandmothers uh, and my grandfather, um, both sides of my family, and the response of reading um, the lines about uh, hard lives well lived, I think, really describe them perfectly. Although I don't think if you asked them, sorry, they wouldn't think their lives were hard. They just think that they were living. But they set a lot of templates for my parents and for me that I'm hoping I am, uh, whatever it is enough to pass on to my family as well. I'd like to um, acknowledge my parents who uh, found a Unitarian Church of only a few months before I was born and raised me and my uh, sister and brother um, as, as Unitarians and we had conversations about progressive morality and empathy and things like that on a Sunday morning over breakfast. Sometimes we would go to church, sometimes we didn't. But to me, this whole, uh, this, this space is closest to that memory I, I have of my family. And then I just want to follow on Dorothy's thing about, about uh, uh, Geert and, uh, and how we all carry the spirit of all those that are buried up there in the Memorial Garden kind of as flags into the future. Uh, Geert is very much a part of who I am and, and what I do here. Mom, um, I got a picture of Katzen, who was an awesome role model and a partner in racquetball sometime. Um, one of the leaves I will dedicate to my Uncle Morris because he was funny. Good morning, Jerry again. 
Um, I didn't bring any pictures or anything else. Uh, this place is just replete with memories of my parents and my other family members that went here. Uh, if you want to see a picture of Dad, he's in the kitchen. Uh, Mom's picture's all over the place. I haven't seen one recently, but she's around. I can't look at things around here without seeing them in all of these things, whether it's the putting up of the, uh, the mural or it's the, the um, what do we call that? Behind me, the, 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 the different pieces of material, uh, the quilt. The quilt. Yeah, the, there were a few quilts made here. That's just the most recent one. Uh, and there are other mem reminders like that of my family having been here and will be here forever. So those are all good memories. Thank you. Um, same same thing. I didn't bring any any uh, any. You sit down, please. I didn't bring any uh, photographs, but I've been thinking a lot about the ancestors and the spirits who live in our in our region where we live. Um, and this it feels like a magical place where we live, Forest Farm <laughs> in uh, Garrison. And I've just been thinking about the lives who have lived there before. And even before it was Garrison, and the many, many the ancestors that the spirits that live in that region. So I would like to light a candle for 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 that. Thank you all for sharing these heartfelt moments and memories. Let's conclude in the spirit of prayer and meditation. I invite you to make yourself comfortable. Close your eyes if you like. Take a seat. <coughs> 